interesting. Some of you um, are probably wondering about the beards. I had the um, first service, someone asked me if I was going for the Phil Robertson look, and I said, no, I'm, I'm going for Uncle Cy. Stevie's going for Willie, I think. I'm not sure what's, what's going on there, but uh, anyways. You know, one of, the, <clears throat> one of the things I love about being a pastor is that God has called me to be a shepherd. He has actually called me to lead and care and to, and to shepherd a group of people. And it's something that, honestly, I, I just take very seriously and I consider it to be a great, great honor. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 23, there's a, there's a verse that I want to read to you. It says, know the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Now, normally when, when you read that verse and over the years that verse kind of is put on pastors, that, that was not written by Solomon to pastors. It was written to people that actually own sheep. Um, you have sheep, watch over them, know the conditions of your herds. But I do think it's great advice for a pastor. As a pastor, it, it, you need to be aware of the condition that the sheep that God has called you to shepherd. I think it's a great advice for parents. I mean, you have little tiny sheep wandering around your home right now, or you have mid-sized sheep or big sheep that still are under your roof, or some of you have sent your sheep out. Um, but it's good for us as parents to be um, always aware of the condition of the, the sheep that God has called us to, to shepherd. And um, throughout the Bible, God refers to us on many occasions as sheep. He, he called himself the good shepherd, and he says, we are the sheep of his pasture. Now, I want to give you a little fact that I read something uh, that I read just recently about the animal, the, the sheep. Sheep love comfort. Sheep do not like change. If you don't, if you don't in, in, in intentionally lead a sheep out of a field that they've been grazing in, into greener pastures, they will stay in that one spot and they will graze until everything is gone and they have absolutely nothing to eat. And and they'll stay there. And so for the healthiness of the sheep and the field itself, sheep need to be cared for and they need to be challenged to move into greener pastures so they can continue to, to grow and to thrive. However, all of this creates some tension for the sheep. Why? Because, well, like us, they can tend to be stubborn. They they love safety. They love comfort. They don't necessarily like change. And so when they find a really good, comfortable, safe field to graze in, there's their shepherd between the sheep and the shepherd. When the shepherd tries to move them into a greener pasture, even though the shepherd is moving them towards something that is actually much better for them. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called the What If Experiment. And the, the, here's, the, here's, here's the exciting thing about this What If Experiment. It's creating some tension. Here's the challenging thing about the what-if experiment. It's creating some tension. All the way around, we're creating some tension. Some of you are, are, some of the tension you're feeling is that you're being challenged to move out of your safety zone, out of your comfort zone when it comes to the area of your finances. And I truly believe that God is challenging many of you to trust him in this very specific area of your life to go from maybe being a tipper to a giver to being a giver to being generous. And I believe that some of you uh, are feeling, some of the tension you're feeling and, and you're experiencing with this whole what-if experiment is that instead of asking the question, how much can I invest in this experiment, some of you are asking the question, what am I going to have to give up? What's it going to cost me? What am I going to have to sacrifice? Now listen, I think that's a fair question. It's an uncomfortable question because this experiment is going to involve sacrifice and it's going to involve commitment from every single one of us. 
Amy and I, we have been praying about our personal commitment to this experiment. And we have felt some of the, dis- the discomfort that some of you are feeling. Matter of fact, our whole staff has felt some of the tension of this experiment. Our elders feel the tension of this experiment. However, we think it's a healthy tension. I believe it's a healthy tension. And my part, my part uh, in this whole thing as a shepherd is to lead you through this tension and to help you to understand that God blesses sacrifice. God blesses obedience. God blesses commitment. God blesses generosity. And I believe that God wants to move you through this whole thing out of your comfort zone and to have faith and to believe and to trust in the what and the who you can't see to meet the needs of your family, to, ca- to actually care for your family. Now, let me say something that I said in week one. This whole exper- experiment is not about money. However, money is a big part of it because money fuels kingdom work. But listen, it's much more than that. Last week, we talked about faith. How you handle your money is a clear reflection of your faith. It's a reflection of your spiritual life. It's a reflection of your spiritual maturity. How you handle your money is probably a more clear picture than maybe anything else of what is going on in your heart. That's why the topics of giving and generosity are the most discussed topics in the entire Bible. God, in his wisdom, he knew that money was going to create tension in our lives. It was going to create tension in our relationships. And so he addresses this topic over and over throughout Scripture. Let me show you what I mean. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul makes note of of three things, three values that, that we need to be growing in in our spiritual walk, in our spiritual life. The, 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 he talks about faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of those three things is love. Well, I decided that I would find out how many times each one of those topics is addressed in the Bible. And here's what I found. The word faith, or variations of faith, is discussed 246 times in the Bible. The word hope is discussed or mentioned 185 times in the Bible. The word love, okay, which has huge value in our lives, is discussed 733 times. However, when you talk about giving or you see the word give in the Bible, it is mentioned 2,285 times. Now, it is far and away the most talked about issue in the entire Bible. Why? Because, again, God knew that it was going to create huge issues and huge challenges for us. He knew that this issue was going to create some tension in our lives. It was going to create tension in our relationship. So throughout Scripture, as he addresses this issue and as he confronts the tension, he not only says, trust me with this area of your life, but he says, test me in it. Start giving. And don't just give, be generous in the way that you give. Now, we talked about Paul's challenges to the church in Corinth in in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 over the last several weeks. He uses this group of churches in Macedonia as this example of generosity. And in verse 1, here's what he says. I'm going to read it to you again. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about this grace that God has been given among the churches of, of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And then he goes on to say, the way that this group of churches gave, it surprised us. It caught us off guard. We didn't actually expect that they were going to be so generous. Their their lives, he said, not only were they committed in giving their money, but what really blew us away is that they gave themselves completely to the Lord. Everything about them was completely committed to the Lord. And then he says in verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in your faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What's he talking about? Paul says, 
This is the model for how a church should handle handle giving. We should give our very lives to the Lord. Everything. And it should be reflected in the grace and giving and generosity. And that's what this what-if experiment is all about. What if our giving resulted in such generosity that it truly allowed us to expand our impact. It allowed us to expand our care, to expand our reach in in not only this community, but all over the world. What if we were able to truly shock the world with our generosity in return? Now, here's something that struck me this past week. Brian Case, I'd asked him, he's our administrator, and I asked him, I asked him to send me a bunch of stats and facts about just, you know, our tenants and giving and all this and that. And, And as I was looking over all of these little pie charts and stats and facts that he shot me, what I realize is we don't have an attendance problem. Matter of fact, year to date, we're up 8% over where we were last year. We've had like 347 brand new families visit us since July 1. So, I mean, we're, we, it's amazing. We're still reaching people 16 years into this. We don't even have a generosity problem. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? You're, you're talking about generosity. Listen, if I put up the right thing on that screen, one of the things that I've learned over the years, like if you, we can raise a lot of money, $30,000 for, you know, this church, $30,000 for you know, this thing in Africa or $40,000 for this children's safe house in Uganda. I mean, I'm always amazed at how much money you actually have in your pocket. We don't, listen, we don't have a staffing issue. We have people over the last several months who've said, listen, you need to cut the staff salaries. You need to cut the staff, all that. Listen, we're actually understaffed. And all of, the, all of our salaries are right in line statistically where, we're, where they should be. Here, here's what I've really learned. We, have, we actually have a giving problem. Our giving is not keeping up with our growth and, growth, and so we're having to scale back. And so we're asking the question, what if we all started to give? What if we all got involved? Now, as a shepherd, I realize that part of my job is leading you through the tension. It's leading you through this tension and to help you to answer some questions that you might be having and questions that you're wrestling with that you may never ask out loud. And so if you're going to get into greener pastures, then we, ne- we need to answer some of the obvious questions. And, and I think the most obvious of all questions is, why does God want us to give and how does it benefit my life? In other words, what's in this for me? Well, I'm glad that you asked. First of all, giving makes me more like Christ. The Bible says God is a giver. If you look throughout the Bible, God is constantly giving things to his children. James chapter 1 verse 5, it says that God gives generously and he gives ungrudgingly. John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, I'm sure. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only, he only gave his only son. If you want to be a great lover of life, a great lover of people, you have to learn to give because love and giving go hand in hand. Listen, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Number two, grace draws me closer to God. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, wherever you put your heart is where, you're gonna, is where you put your money. If your heart is in your investments, that's where you're going to find your money. If your heart's in your house, that's where you'll find your money. If your heart is into your kids, I promise you, you look at your checkbook and you're going to see yourself. I'm writing to this organization, this travel team, this, this. I mean, boom, 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 boom. If your heart's in your career or your hobby or anything else, your money is going to be right there with your heart. The Bible says that money's like a magnet, Wherever we put it, it tends to pull our hearts. So when I give my money to God, it's like a magnet. It pulls me closer to God. Now, some people have a problem with God and money because they think that, that all God wants is, the, is our money. Listen, can I tell you something? Here's a fact. God doesn't need your money. 
He doesn't need your money. He is going to fulfill his kingdom purposes. He's going to fulfill his desire to spread the gospel all over the world with you or without you. So why do we keep talking about giving? Why does God want me to give? Well, God wants what your money represents. It represents your heart. That's what God wants. And again, the Bible says that wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. So we go back, so we go back for a moment to our Colossians series that we started in August. God doesn't want to just be part of your life. He doesn't want to be first in your life. He wants to be at the very center of your life. And a good way to tell whether or not he's there is to look at how we handle our money. Giving is like cardio exercise. When we do it, it strengthens our heart. The third thing is that giving breaks the grip of materialism. I remember the very first time that Amy and I went on an overseas missions trip. It was 1994. We went to Kiev, Ukraine. It was life-changing in so many ways. One of the biggest takeaways was how materialistic that we are as people and, and how, how materialistic we are as a nation. Amy and I, we came away realizing how materialistic we are as a couple. Both of our boys now have been on two um, overseas missions trips. Zach has been to Nicaragua and Jamaica. Taylor's been to Jamaica and the Dominican Republic. And I love it because they've get, now had a chance to see firsthand just how incredibly blessed we are I mean, incredibly blessed they are, but they've also had a chance to see how, the need, how there are just tremendous needs that are, exist all over the world. And they've also realized how materialistic our culture is compared to most every other place in the world. I mean, we live in a very blessed place. We are so blessed to live in this country. When I go over to Burkina Faso or I go to Guatemala, or I'm reminded constantly of how we even take just simple things like clean water and just healthy food. We take those things for granted. But I'm also reminded that we live in a culture where more is never enough. It's, and it's easy for us, without even realizing it, to get sucked into this need to have the next best thing or this need to have the, ne- the next ep- upgrade that's coming out. So how do we combat this? How do we combat this mentality? What's the antidote? How, do I ca- how can I keep myself and my children from getting sucked into materialism? Well, Here's what you need to do. How, how, do, I, how do I make sure that I, that I get over this discontentment that I'm feeling to always have more? You learn to become a giver. You learn to become a generous giver. You teach your children to become givers because generosity and giving are the antidote to materialism. The essence of materialism is to want more and more and more. So every time I give, here's what I'm doing. I'm breaking, I'm breaking the grip of materialism in my life. It's a countercultural move. It's a spiritual victory for all of us. And it says, I refuse to buy into the, lo- the myth that life consists of what you accumulate or the mindset that says that my net worth and my self-worth are actually the same thing. Giving fights against that mindset. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In other words, I have to choose what's going to be the most important thing in my life because in our minds, one will always compete with the other. That's why there's so much tension when we talk about the issue of money. That's why we feel this whole topic is such a sensitive one to unchurched people or de-churched people. I mean, some of you, you know, you've been thinking about, man, I want to bring my friends to church and I'm waiting till you get done with this series and you get into the dynasty series with all the beards. And when does that happen? Because I don't, my friends think all we talk about is money and you're proving that point by, you know, listen, I, I want you to listen to this because I, I actually believe, and I think scripture teaches, well it does, that, that our friends, we do our friends a disservice when we don't expose them to this. And here, here, listen to Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, 
Teach those who are rich in this world. If, listen, if you live in America, you are rich compared to the rest of the world. The poorest of the poor in America would be wealthy in many parts of this world. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always getting ready, being ready to share with others. Now Paul says, listen, God, he wants us to truly enjoy what he gives us. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with a nice house or nice cars or having, you know, whatever phone it is you have. But listen, he also, but he wants us to share. He wants us to give. He wants to take us to take care of people that are in need. And I'm not getting into politics here. I'm talking about scripture, all right? Because giving truly helps us to understand the, that the abundant life that God has for us on this earth is to get rid of the trap of materialism. Think of how many people we know that are trapped up in their ear, like up to their ears in materialism, and they're struggling with debt. It's impacting their relationships. It's hurting their marriage. I mean, we hurt them by not sharing with them that God offers freedom from the gift of materialism that will truly bring them the life that they're wanting to live. Number four, giving strengthens our faith. I mean, sooner or later, we all have to come to grips with the answer to these two questions. And it's part of the whole maturing process of, of coming to be more like Christ. And first of all, can God be trusted with my finances? And then can God be counted on to keep his promises? Here's a fact. There are more promises in the Bible concerning giving than any other subject. The question is, can God actually be counted on to fulfill those promises? Now, there's only one time in the Bible that God actually says, test me. Every, we see it throughout Scripture. Do not put the Lord your God to, te- to a test. And yet in Malachi 3.10, which we've read a few times, he says, go ahead and test me. And it involves giving money. And he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was connected to the church. He says, so that there may be more food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Now that's an amazing promise, but it still stirs up some tension with some of you. Because again, the question in the back of your mind is, can God be trusted? What if I put him to the test and he fails me? Well, since, again, the storehouse represents the church, we also, sometimes in the back of our mind, can I really trust those guys who are running the church? Or all those people, that staff, can I trust them? Now, some of you were, were here back, um, we were at East Paulding High School when we did, in 2003, a, a campaign called Time to Build. It was what our campaign to get into this building. And the motto of that campaign was, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. As we get ready to kick our what-off experiment off next Sunday, here's what I want to ask you to do. Don't, don't think about what anyone else is doing. I want you to make a sacrifice and start to give. Some of you may be going, where do I begin in this? Here's where, here's where you begin. You just begin going to the next place. Some of you, it's 1% or it's 2% or it's going from 3 to 4 or 5 to 6 or 9 to 10 or even 10 going from there to 11 or 12. Scripture talks about 10%. And I know for some of you, you're looking and going, that's a huge, I don't even know how I would even pull, there's no way. Listen, it's not going to be equal to the person next to you, but don't worry about that. Start praying about what God will have you to do and trust him that he's going to provide it. Amy and I, we've already, been, we've already decided what our one-time gift is going to be next Sunday. We've already settled into where, what we're going to do to increase our annual giving. And I want to tell you, it's created a little, little tension in our family. I have a son who, he's actually home this morning, which I'm grateful for, but I have a son who's off at college. I have... Um, Another one who's a few years away, 
Zach starts driving next year. So we're thinking about that and we're praying about that. Some of you need to be praying for your own safety as well. And, and we're, we're, we're working to pay off Amy's car right now. So we're looking, at, we're looking forward to see how God's going to make all of this happen. We've watched him do it before, but we wanna, we're anxious to see, Lord, how are you going to do this again? Because every time we trust him in this way, here's what happens. He shows up and it strengthens our faith. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. It says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. No arm twisting here. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In other words, don't give reluctantly or out of guilt. Instead, get excited about what God has challenged you to give and give it with a, with a cheerful heart. Listen, next week when we come back for our what-if experiment kickoff and we bring our cards and we, we give our one-time gift, I mean, it should be like a pep rally in this place. I am so excited that, that you are gonna, many of you are going to be part of this for the very first time. I can't wait to hear how God blesses you and I can't wait to see how God stretches your faith. Number five, giving is a test of our maturity. One of the things that God tests us over and over and over again is our, is our maturity. And one of the ways that he tests our maturity is through our finances. Why? Because again, it's so much a part of our lives. It is the best way to gauge where your heart is is to look at your money. Look at your checkbook. Look at your bank balance. Luke chapter 16 verse 11 says, and if you are tr- untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? I mean, I want you to think about the implications of what Jesus just said here. Jesus says that if I'm unfaithful with money on earth, God's not going to be able to trust me with greater responsibility in heaven. I mean, that's a very serious statement here. All right? And one of the best ways you can tell whether or not you are becoming mature when it comes to your finances is to take the ownership test. Now, I want you to, here's the ownership test. I want you to imagine this morning that you have your paycheck in your hand, whether you get paid weekly or biweekly or every month or whatever it looks like. You are now holding your paycheck in your hand, okay? And I'm talking about giving and some of you are squeezing it. I can see your white knuckles, right? I want you to ask yourself the question, whose money is this? I'm holding it, it's in my hand, whose money is this? Well, some of you are saying, well, that's a no-brainer, Brian. That's, this is my money. I earned it. I worked hard for it. It's mine. Well, God says it's all his. Every bit of it. Some of you are squeezing harder. God says, no, it, it, it's all mine. It all belongs. Listen, you're actually, you're a manager of my resources. Now, the second test is, whose church is this? Well, that's, a, that's not a hard one. This is God's church. And God has called the body of Christ. He's called us the body of Christ, which is literally an extension of Jesus to spread the message of the gospel, to expand his kingdom, and to care for his flock. Now, there's a lot of good organizations out there that do good things. I get mail all the time from great organizations asking me to invest in what they're doing. But listen, God's ordained plan to expand his kingdom is the local church. And so maturity says this. Maturity says this is God's money, and I'm going to invest, invest a portion into it, into God's plan, which is the church. And when I do that, God promises to care for my needs so I can keep investing. I can keep pouring more into it. And as you invest in his kingdom, God promises to take care of yours. Number six, giving is an investment for eternity. First Timothy chapter six, verse 19, it says, by doing this, by giving, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Here's a cool thought. 
There, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people that are going to walk up to us. They're going to walk up to you, Jamaicans, people from Burkina Faso, Africa, people from Guatemala, people from, from Cuba, people from, um, from Baltimore, from Orlando, from Charleston, from downtown Atlanta, people right here in Dallas, Georgia, who are going to walk up to you and say this, you gave to Westridge Church, and they invested in where I lived. And because of that, it opened a door for me to hear God's plan for salvation, and I received it. And because of that, I'm here today. Or you, you supported a student who was going to Nicaragua, and because of that, I got a chance to hear the gospel, and I responded to that. I mean, think about what an incredible moment that's going to be for all, I mean, for, for those of us that are investing. I remember back in the 90s, you might remember this, um, there was kind of a craze, I think it was a Nike thing, the No Fear t-shirts. And, and I remember seeing one of those t-shirts, and it, and it read like this. He, who with, he with the most toys in the end wins, no fear. And I remember seeing that t-shirt and thinking, win? Win what? That's not a win, that's a loss. And shortly thereafter, there was a, a Christian company that came out with t-shirts to combat all these sayings. And I remember one of them that said, he with the most toys in the end still dies, no fear. <laughs> Fact is, listen, you're not taking anything with you when you leave this life. When you give, what are you doing? You're investing in eternity. And then number seven, God blesses me in return. Now, I want you to, I want you to watch the screens for just a moment. We've captured a video of a couple in our church that some of you may even know them. Uh, the, the, this guy, maybe you may recognize him. He kind of roams some every once in a while and takes pictures. Uh, great photographer, and we've known them for several years. And I, I want you to hear this amazing story of how God spoke to their hearts in the midst of what was a really trying time to get them involved in giving. Watch this. Hi, I'm Matt, and this is my wife, Melissa, and we're photographers. We look at life through our lens a lot like God does when he looks at us. Matt and I met in L.A. He noticed me first, and it took me a few months to get around to noticing him. It was my second Sunday attending, and I saw her at the front of the church, and I just... The moment I saw her, I knew, I was like, I need to meet that young lady. It took a few months, but uh, it's only one over. After we got married, our finances, you know, we were living. You know, we paid our bills, uh, knew that was taken care of, and then what was left over, we just kind of applied it to where we wanted it to at that time. We had started thinking about retirement and saving a little bit towards that, a little bit towards our kids' college. Um, and I, I thought, we're good. We didn't really give to the church consistently, though. Uh, so back in uh, May 2008, my wife and I and my daughter went up to go see my parents in Tennessee. And during that time, my parents uh, said, we need to sit down and have a, you know, a talk with you. And we're like, okay. We knew something was going on, but didn't know exactly what, just because of their behavior that weekend. And we kind of sat down and we talked to them, and that's when we found out that Matt's dad had been laid off from his job. And we thought, oh, that's terrible. And then they said, yeah, and the student loan that we had taken out for Matt's school, we're not going to be able to pay that. We're going to need you guys to take over that loan. And I thought, that's bad. And then I found out it was almost $33,000. And I thought, that's impossible. We looked at the possibility of taking a Dave Ramsey course. And this time, Melissa was up and ready for it. And we signed up the moment we could and did 12 weeks of Dave Ramsey. When we first started trying to pay off the debt, we really did not have a formal budget every month. 
We just got paid. We paid all the bills and whatever was left over. That's just what we had. And of course, every month it came and it went, but we didn't save or, or do anything like that. Um, when we took the Dave Ramsey course, we were much more structured about seeing how much money we had, where it went, and how much went to each place. To all those who can't say, well, I, I am barely making it as it is. There's no way I can afford giving 10% to anything, even though I'd like to give it to the church. When I say if you make that your first priority, God will make the 90% go however far you need it to go. Now that we had paid things off and we started building up our savings, um, we realized that we couldn't put our faith in that savings, that it could easily be gone tomorrow. After making those sacrifices and knowing we had that money there, that if God asked it to go somewhere, that's where it needed to be. And if we needed savings, then eventually we would get there again. It was pretty awesome paying off that loan, um, sending that last check and knowing that we had just now paid off $43,000 plus dollars in one year. Um, you know, it just brings me back to that story in Mark where Jesus was asking the disciples to feed people with the five loaves and two fish, and, and it fed everyone. And um, I just kind of felt like that's how our money was. Um, we were able to stretch our money in ways that we never thought possible. Since we started giving consistently to the church and just kind of... Uh, your heart gets changed a little bit, and it does get opened a little bit, and then God will put little things on there. It feels good to just follow that. It doesn't feel like, oh no, where is this money going to come from, when you know it's all coming from Him, and it just all needs to go where He wants it to go, and you know that's the place it should be. I just want people to know that there's hope. No matter how bad it is, there are things that you've, you've dreamt about. You know, God challenges. He, he, he tells us to test Him in this. And we've tested them. Now that we're debt-free and giving consistently, I've built a legacy for my family. Um, now imagine the tension of sitting down. You know, here you are just getting by and, and all of a sudden you sit down with your parents and you realize not only has your dad lost his job, but you are now responsible for over $40,000. 40, $40, $40, $40, yeah, that'd be crazy. $40,000 of debt. And they get into financial peace. And imagine the tension of when you get into that and you hear that the very best way to get out of debt is to start taking 10% and giving it to the church. And then all of a sudden, they get a chance to see that happen in a year. That's crazy. But we have, listen, there's story after story after story of things I've heard over the years that are very similar to that kind of story. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Some of you are going, I'm going to get wine like crazy. No, no, no. That's what this is saying. It's, it's just this all-encompassing promise that says, listen, put me first and I will bless you in everything you do. I want you to really think about something for a moment. The majority of you in this room, if I were to ask for a raise, uh, show of hands, you would say that God has saved you. You have received God's free gift of salvation. You believe that God has forgiven you, that you've, you've trusted Jesus Christ, and that because of Jesus' death, it was enough to pay for the price of your sins and to take you to heaven. You trust that he has the ability to keep you saved. But many of us don't trust God with our finances. I want you to think about that logic. It doesn't make sense, does it? Why do we do that? Well, it's because 
in the back of our mind, we're still convinced that the money that we have in our pocket is ours. It's not. It's God's. It's all God's. And as I said before, we're not owners. We're managers of his stuff. And he's loaned us this stuff to see how we're going to manage it, how we're going to invest it. And he promises to bless us so that we can keep reinvesting, reinvesting in what he's doing. And then finally, giving helps me keep my life in perspective. First Chronicles 29. King David's writing his last words, and here's what he says. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. And in your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And, and now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. Giving helps us to remember three things. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is distributed by God. That's what's being said in the, that passage there. And when you can get to that perspective, it's a great place to be. Why? Because it takes away the worry, takes away the fear, takes away the guilt, takes away the tension. And if it's all his anyways, then here's what I can do. I can be confident that when I give, he's going to take care of me. When I invest, the return on investment is solid because the safest place for me to invest God's money is back into God's kingdom. When you do that, listen, you can't go wrong. Now here's, here's where we are. Next week, we're going to ask you to come back with this card. And here's what we want you to do. First of all, first and foremost, we want you to be praying. And I hope that you've already been praying. Lord, what would you have me to do with this experiment that I'm hearing about? And I feel like you're calling me to to be part of. Pray about that. Get, Get together with your wife, your husband. Get on the same page. And then we want you to fill out the commitment of what we want to know what you're going to invest over the next two years. Take what you're going to invest monthly, times it by... 24 and let us know what that's going to be. We just want to know how to plan. Next Sunday, we're going to be having a big gift Sunday. We're not this year taking a hope offering. We're not taking a gift offering like we've done in the past. Next Sunday is that offering. It's that offering. And I think it's going to be a celebration. I think we're going to truly shock the world with our generosity. And I I can't, the next Sunday after that, we're going to be having a Thanksgiving service. We're going to thank God in advance. We're already planted. We're going to thank him in advance for what he's about to do. Now, some of you have a lot, some of you may have questions about, you got this brochure in the mail this past week and you started reading through it and you're going, I got some questions about this. At the end of the service, you can go into the discovery room. Once you go through the doors there, go past the main staircase to the left, go into the discovery room. We'll have some of our staff in there who will answer any questions that you have about this what if experiment past week as I was just kind of finishing up my, this, writing this talk and I just started dreaming again just saying, what, if? what if what if what if we were truly able to reach all of these people that all these cards, we've been praying over these cards over the last few weeks, there's all names of people that are far from God that come to, need to come to Christ, what if we had a chance to see all of these people come to Christ because we got involved in an experiment that allowed us to do a better job of reaching them what if, what if when it came to surge camp next summer, we were able to see not just a thousand kids come, but we were able to go into different communities and scholarship a thousand more kids. And we were able to allow their parents to hear the gospel the last night. I mean, think about the implications. Entire communities changing because moms and dads are coming to Christ. Kids are coming to Christ. What if all rush camp next, next summer, we could lower the price and allow more kids to go, and yet we could pay for our leaders to go. I mean, our leaders every year pay their own way to go to camp. They take a week off of work and pay their own way. What if we could pay for our leaders to go? And all of a sudden it opens the door up for just more leaders to be 
able to come. The small groups get smaller and we're able to see more life change, more students come to camp with us and how that would impact schools. And I mean, think about church planting for a moment. You go, you go to South Paulding and you see church at the Ridge. That's one of our church plants. You go to North Paulding, Grace Point Church. It's one of our church plants. Go out on Highway 41, Freedom Church, which just built a new building, one of our church plants. Go into Cartersville, Cross Point City Church, one of our church plants. Go to Canton, Revolution Church, one of our church plants. You go over to Vinings, Vinings Church, one of our church plants. Go downtown Atlanta, Vertical Church, one of our church plants. Go out to the airport, Love Beyond Walls, one of our church plants. What if we could continue not only to invest back into them, but plant more churches all over Northwest Atlanta and into Atlanta, all over Georgia, to continue to see this community come to Christ, to be saturated with the gospel. What if we could go back to Burkina Faso, which we're going, and just say, listen, we, we're going to continue to invest in the Pugli, which is our little tribe that we invest in. Now we're going to move to another tribe and offer them the same opportunity to get clean water, which will open up their ears to hear the gospel and provide more food, more rice, all that stuff. So all of a sudden we see more and more people in Burkina come into Christ. We literally are able to change a nation. And what if we're able to go to, into Guatemala and say, not only are we going to provide clean water for this village, but we're going to provide a training center in this village so that people could come all of a sudden to, to be able to learn how to, to learn a trade so that now they can provide for their families. And we get a chance to go over there and rub shoulders with them and share the gospel. And we see people in Guatemala come to Christ. And all of a sudden, we're able to pour back into our community like we've never been able to do before. That's the what-if experiment. That's what this is all about. That's why we're asking you to join us. Because listen, we believe God has not called us to graze in safe pastures, to graze in a comfort zone, to just get used to being stuck into the same old field where we just eat. He wants to take us and even create some tension and move us out of that field into better places where the blessings are even more than what we've ever imagined. And we get a chance to see God move and to deepen our faith in ways that we've never seen before. And we grow and more and mature and it impacts our kids. And that impacts their kids. And I look at that and I go, what if? What if we could be part of something like that? To see God do bigger and better things than we've ever seen in our lifetime. I'm not content to stay where I am. I'm not content to be comfortable. I'm not content just to kind of settle in and ride this out. And I hope that I'm pastoring a church, I'm shepherding a group of people who aren't content either. I hope that's who you are. So the question is, what are we going to do? What if we could shock the world with God's generosity? God's able. He's able. He's able to do this. I know some of you are scared. He's able. Let's trust Him. Let's trust Him like 